Before we start out, we have an award to give out. Bra Chris from Apple Podcasts. B-R-A-C-H-R-I-S, username. Your review of our podcast has won some National Land Realty swag. Please reach out to us at marketing at nationallandrealty.com. And uh, let us know what your review was, and we will hook you up with some gear. Let's get on with this. Welcome to episode number 42 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Owning a duck impoundment is on the bucket list for every serious duck hunter. The process of buying a duck impoundment or building one is an enormous undertaking and an investment that could pay dividends for generations if done correctly. If you have ever wanted to buy or build a duck impoundment, we have three experts here today to tell you everything you need to know about it. We're talking with North Carolina land professionals Matthew Eeks, Jacob Lyle, and Aaron Sutton. Matthew Eeks and Jacob Lyle not only are land agents with National Land Realty, but are also highly experienced specialists in the building and management of duck impoundments. Aaron Sutton is an award-winning managing broker and a land professional who has sold and consulted on the acquisition of dozens of duck impoundments over his career. In other words, this is a massive amount of information useful for any outdoor enthusiast from some of the best minds in the country on land. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with a very special group of people. Um, we have the gurus of duck impoundments here. Uh, we have we have Matthew Eeks, we have Jacob Lyle, and we have managing broker Aaron Sutton. Um, Aaron, you were on the show last week. We were talking about the exemplary leadership that you had within your teams, and I see in the background there your uh, outstanding man cave slash office area. Uh, but I want to make some introductions to the the newcomers of the group. Uh, Jacob Lyle, I'm going to pick on you first. Tell me a little bit how you sort of arrived doing land real estate in the first place and sort of about your specialty with ducks. Yeah, so I um, I grew up hunting and fishing. It's always been a passion of mine. Always knew I wanted to work outdoors. Didn't really know that this was a, was an option, but ended up working for a gentleman for a few years managing his properties and uh anywhere from food plots to timber management to ponds and then we also built a couple duck impoundments and uh other than hunting some people's duck impoundments at the coast growing up that was uh that was really all the experience i had until i kind of helped build some and learned how they worked and uh and as i was doing some management for this gentleman and decided to try to do some more land management for other people. Um, one of the avenues that I was interested in was real estate as well. Cause I've always wanted to own my, my own property, um, as well as my own duck impoundment. So why not get as much experience as possible with both of them and get real estate license and, and try to help folks buy and sell some property, hunt property, recreational property, and, and in return, maybe be able to help facilitate getting a duck impoundment on that property after they've purchased it. Um, so that's kind of how I got into this a little bit. Um, and, uh, 
and and get to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I get a little jealous when I'm sitting behind the desk and I see you guys out in the field. Um, Matthew, tell me a little bit how you got started in this. Um, I was born and raised in Hyde County. Um, my dad introduced me at a very young age, and ever since then, it's just been a part of my life. I, I love every minute of it. I love every aspect of it. I love the, the prep work. I love the hunting. I love all the people that goes along with it. I um, As I got older and started actually be able to do the prep work, I understood that that was what I enjoyed the most. Um, being able to do this year round and, and turn something from from nothing into, you know, something that you planted, you flooded, you hunted, and you drew the management plan for it is it's just it's the best thing I can imagine waking up and doing. Um, and how I found myself with the real estate side of this was with a lot of the guys and clients I was working with, I started helping them negotiate, you know, some of the properties that they were acquiring. And I realized that, um, you know, to be good at this and to capitalize on what I was doing, I really needed my real estate license to, um, you know, help. <laughs> Not really sure how to say it, but to help myself move forward in life and, you know, to grow as much as I possibly could. So that's really how I, how I found myself where I am today. Awesome. Thank you. for Thank you both for, uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. And Aaron, for those who are unfortunate enough to not have listened to the last episode, you run us through a brief intro to yourself. Uh, yes, I'm the um, managing broker for North Carolina and Virginia. Um, Matthew and Jacob came to me. Well, Jacob came to me about three years ago, and um, we were able to work out a deal and get him on board. And Jacob, Jacob kind of works that North Raleigh uh, area. Um, I don't know. There's about ten or twelve counties that run across the Virginia border, north of Raleigh, and and he tries to hone on that area. And then uh, Matthew started working with us last year, and he's taken on the coastal areas for us, um, Hyde County, Beaufort County, through through that area. Excellent. And then if you, if y'all didn't now just wanted to pitch a question to all you guys, uh, tell me a little bit about Hyde County, and and actually before we do that. If one of you, if one of you wants to jump in and just define duck impoundments, a one hundred and one level for people that are listening that may not be familiar, and and just kind of run through what, what exactly is a duck impoundment. And I realize I'm probably like talking way under a lot of the listeners because a, pro- a lot of people probably know, but I just want to make sure that we kind of outlook the conversation. I'll let you take it, Matt. Uh, basically, a duck impoundment is a, an assortment of uh, levees or dikes, whatever whatever term you want to use. Um, it's got a water control structure to um, hold water on a specific area for a certain amount of time throughout the year. Whether you want to hold it for a long time or whether you want to hold it for just a short time of duck season, um, that's what a that's what a duck impoundment is. Excellent. And, and Aaron, you had a good way to describe, you were talking about Hyde County when I was talking to you in the last episode. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about Hyde County and then Matthew, you can jump in there too. Yeah. So um, Hyde County is, is North Carolina's Stuttgart, I guess. Uh, anybody up and down the East coast, you know, of the United States is probably that duck hunts has probably heard of Hyde County. 
And some of the old sayings are that every duck that flies up down the Atlantic Flyway comes through Hyde County at some point in their life. Um, and most of them on, on multiple flights throughout the year. But uh, it's, it's home for a couple hundred thousand ducks at any time in December and January um, until they get ready to fly back north. All right. So, so we got the, the main area that, Matthew, you work in. The, the ducks go up and down that, that that section of North Carolina. And you're talking about you all have worked in and specialized in developing water structures and shooting blinds and shooting areas to be able to bring in ducks and be able to hunt ducks, correct? That's right. Yes, sir. All right. Well, t- tell me a little bit about this. Like, so, so if somebody wants to go out and pick up an area, let's say it's, let's say either there is already an impoundment there, or maybe it's, it's just blank land, right? And, and they're, it's, they're curious about duck hunting and they want to set up a structure to do so. What do they want to do to select a site? What are they looking for? And, and even if it's not in Hyde County, right? Cause Jacob, you're not in that area, but your opinion as well. So I grew up doing some duck hunting in Hyde County. My dad's got a camp down there and, uh, kind of like to Aaron's point, if, if you like duck hunting and you live in North Carolina, it's on your bucket list to duck hunt in Hyde County, whether that's one or two times, own some land there, a shoreline lease. Um, and so basically in middle school, high school and college, I grew up going to Hyde County every weekend. Um, and with my business now, some of the land management and plantings we do, even though we're two hours away, we still do some in Hyde County, not to the extent of Matthew, because that's where, that's where he grew That's where he grew up. That's where he lives. But that shows how much of a, a bandwidth Hyde County has. And my experience with helping plant and build duck impoundments, even though, not all of them are in coastal North Carolina or Hyde County. That's the best place to try to build or own one just from the sheer amount of ducks that inhabit that area. But the, one of the biggest caveats that I run into to some degree is say we've, we're helping plant or build a duck impoundment for someone kind of in my neck of the woods, which is two hours west of Hyde County, we have a completely different soil type and we have a completely different water table. And so it's been fascinating to kind of learn those water table and soil types of the coast versus here, because, you know, I've got a lot of clay and if you find clay in Hyde County, you've basically struck gold if you're trying to do any kind of dirt work. Um, but here I don't have near the amount of topsoil that Hyde County has. So like when you're building a dike or a levee, you need to have what people call good dirt or a nice core or a really nice base to keep that water contained, whether it's the bottom of a pond or a levee or dike around a duck impoundment. Sometimes in Hyde County, you've got to dig really deep to find that versus in my neck of the woods, that's basically what we've got on the soil surface with hardly any topsoil. So like if somebody wanted to build a duck impoundment around Raleigh, an hour north, an hour 
west, east, there's, you have to strip the topsoil off of that site to do your dirt work and then put that topsoil back into that place in order to have your organics to get what you're wanting to plant to grow well. Versus in Hyde County, it's almost all topsoil. And Matt, chime in because you have more you have more experience in that neck of the woods. But what I've just found is that the, the soil types play a really big, they, they hold a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's right. We, both our areas, we have pros and cons to both. You know, it's, it, like you said, it's, it's very difficult to uh, build a dike here that holds water unless you go deep enough and find that clay soil. And we, we have to dig core dikes and sometimes we got to go down 10, 12 feet to find something that we can actually use to, you know, build our dike to hold the water inside of it. Um, but like you said, we don't, we don't have to do a lot of dirt work on top to grow good crops because it's already there. Um, so that's definitely our, that's definitely our positive, um, on what we, on what we have in hide. Yeah, I wanted to zoom out a little bit when when somebody's picking out. So so we're talking about going in, finding property. Either there's a duck impoundment already there, or or maybe you just want to install one. What's the top level view? How many acres do you want? It, uh, it, it really depends. I mean, it, it depends where what goal you're trying to achieve. I mean, if you're looking for this as a club and want several guys in it, you obviously need you a, a fair size duck impoundment, like 20, 30, 40, 50. 60 acres, something big. Um, if you're wanting something that big, but you know, just a single owner, you know, we, we look after four or five acre dug and pallets and we look after, you know, 2,500 acres of moist soil habitat, you know, that we manage the water on all year round. And it, it really depends who, you know, what you're after, what your budget is and, and what goal you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it is. There any on on sort of like shooting lanes, shooting distance? If like it's a, a smaller lot like that, you're going to clear the five acre range if you're shooting up, right? So is there is there any sort of like safety protocols that you consider when you when you're looking at that? Yeah, I mean if you're in a if you're in a square dug impound, rectangular dug impound, normally what we're trying to anywhere from seven to ten acres is about what we need per blind in one of these impoundments, just to be safe. Unless you're around a bend or something like that, you you know, it, you need at least that much acreage to hunt without shooting at each other or, or, you know, <laughs> that's the safe, I guess that's the safe way to put it. We, one of our impoundments, we got a, we got about a, it's about a hundred acres and we got 10 blinds in it. Not saying we'll hunt all 10 blinds, but they're, you know, meticulously placed so that we can hunt all blinds if we needed to and not hurt each other in the process. Yeah. Nobody wants to get peppered by their friend. That's right. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, so it's, go ahead. I, you just jumped in there. Yeah. So the other thing you got to look at is sometimes you might have a hundred acre block of, 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 of uh, land there, but the, the good Lord above only blessed you with 15 acres of suitable soil. So it's not really how big, you know, of a track of land it is to have, but it also, you have to look at that specific, what can work for a duck impoundment. Just because you got 500 acres, you might only have 10 acres that you can build on. That's suitable. So you can't get caught up in the size of the track of land. It's really got to hone in on how much can I use. 
Well, and you all just mentioned water. All right. So, uh, and, and you mentioned digging for, you know, your water table, right? So are you looking to bring into the water table? You're looking to dig down to the water table or do you bring in external water sources to fill these duck impoundments? I'll chime in on that one. Um, go ahead. I'll, I'll do that you one. We, it. it really depends where you are on the, in the coastal area where we are, um, we have a lot of salt land or salt water uh, next to us. And depending where that impoundment is, you can't pull, you can't pull external water and put it in your impoundment. So a lot of guys down here do wells. Um, if you're in a place where you got fresh water, then you're, you're pulling it out of ag fields and ag ditches late in, late in the summer and using that water to put in your impoundment. Um, so we're not digging down like to the water table to get it from there we have to have some sort of source of water and, and, and depending on where the location of it is, is, is the deciding factor on what that water, where that water comes from. Do you have to go through permitting to dig a well for, to, to pull it specifically for a duck impoundment? Say that one more time, Mr. Mack. You got Do to, you have to go through, through permitting um, to, to drill a well specifically for duck impoundments? Yeah. You're drilling in the right places. Um, but most time we don't have any issues getting getting permits to do it. Gotcha. So there is there is a permitting process that you have to because most of the time, yeah, when you drill a well like that, you got to get a you know well permit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we go through the Army Corps of Engineers, um, and usually if they let us dig in an area to be able to put up a dike, you know, usually you don't have any issues getting a well to put in either. Excellent. And then Jacob, what were you you were going to chime in here too as well? I was going to say in my neck of the woods, most of the time, the, if there's a duck impoundment, it's normally right up against a river or a large body of water, like a lake or a Creek that feeds a lake and that impoundment is honing in on the birds that might use that lake or travel that river corridor. And, um, and so a lot of times we'll use, um, we've got one property where we use an old tobacco irrigation pump. And we just pull water straight from the river and pump it into the impoundment because it's right up beside it or use a tractor driven PTO pump and pump water out of a, a lake and pump it into the impoundment. So we don't have the saltwater issues that Matthew runs into. Um, so as long as you've got something to move some water and that water is close enough to get it to that impoundment, um, it's pretty easy. And that's a different permitting process, right? You're talking about state water board, right? Yeah, there's, there's some permits. It kind of depends on volume, but, uh, you know, a lot of our rivers, at least talking about the rivers, you know, we're getting a lot of rainwater that's traveling across the state, a lot of stormwater. And when you get an influx of stormwater, half the time we can put our, our risers or our water control structures close them up and catch that storm water. And then maybe you just got to catch, you just got to pump a little bit of water. But if it's, if it's a really dry time and we're trying to get those impoundments flooded, you know, before duck season, we'll, we'll pull the pumps out. Excellent. And then y'all have mentioned soil quite a few times and you're, and you're differentiating between top soil and sort of the soil in an area that you dig, right. To hold the water. Um, tell me a, bit, a little bit about what matters, Aaron, maybe if you could jump in here with, you know, you're talking sandy soils, you're talking clay soils that you've talked about and then maybe the top soils a little bit. 
And these two boys are the experts on that. I'm going to let them handle that question. <laughs> All right. We'll defer. <laughs> so you need to have some organic matter in your soil. You know, you, it's a lot easier to grow a food plot or a duck impoundment or a lawn on something that's got some topsoil versus something that's, that's dead dirt clay. You know, when you see them excavating a, a new house construction or a commercial site, they're stripping that topsoil off and trying to get really good clay to compact so that it's never going to move again to build that building on it. Well, it's the same thing. I think the majority of your your nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, your soil nutrients are all in that top one to two inches of dirt, theoretically in my neck of the woods, but in Matthew's neck of the woods, and he can go into detail on why it is that way, you know, it's nothing for it to be a foot or two foot of topsoil. That's right. And I guess... The reason we have so much topsoil is many, 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 many years ago, a lot of a lot of the land in Hyde County was underwater for forever. Um, and that's one of the main reasons we have so much topsoil in our area. But as far as the soils go um, in our area, we take it to the extreme because the volume of ducks that we get down here, we have to have lots of food, whether it be corn, millet, milo, whatever you're trying to accomplish, we have to have a lot of food. So... We have a lot of impoundments around the lake that you got a lot of what we would call grit land. It's kind of gritty. It does have some clay in it. Um, and then we got impoundments away from the lake where it's extremely organic and it, that kind of soil runs really bad. It's like coffee ground land. And then we have just really good black dirt soil um, in other areas. And the way we handle all those different types of soil is when we go in and plant our crop, we take soil samples. Um, we take them to our local co-op. We get we get a printout of what we need for that crop. So every impoundment is different for us, or every area is different for us. And we don't put the same fertilizer on this grit land that we would this coffee ground land because it might call for something different. Sometimes we need more lime. Sometimes we need something else to make that crop grow. So being that we have so many ducks down here and need that need so much food. Um, a lot of guys down here are willing to pay a lot of money to make sure that they have that. So for us, the soil, it, it plays a huge factor, but we have a way of, you know, making our crops work no matter what soil we have in our area. All right. So you're yeah. talking about you're, you're building water. You're, you're trying to provide a water source, still water the ducks can land on. And then you're using the topsoil around that to to grow crop right you're bringing in food that that ducks are going to target um you know which types of food are you going to use for that i mean which what's your primaries what's i mean there's there's you mentioned corn and millet are there any others or is it just strictly like those kind of things we love corn obviously we have to have it like i said with the volume of ducks that we have but my personal favorite we do a lot of moist soil if we've got land big enough that we can do moist soil on that natural vegetation is what they're eating you know from the coast of canada all the way down to florida um so and depending how you manage will depend on what kind of crops you want to have i mean we get a lot of nighttime ducks in this area because we have a big lake um, called Mad Mesquite um, National Wildlife Refuge. 
It's about 75,000 acres. Um, so we have a natural loafing spot during the daytime. Um, and a lot of guys, we put in a lot of corn. And what it does is make them use at night um, a lot, especially when we have a lot of full moons. Um, but corn is probably everybody's number one. I mean, that's really what holds them there, especially if we get a cold winter. Um, depending on how you manage and how many times you want to hunt that impoundment, um, we draw up management plans for guys that hunt two days a week. We draw up management plans for guys that hunt four days a week. And it really depends how you're wanting to hunt. And it's a, it's a huge guessing game um, as to what you need to put in there. And storms are a big factor on, on how much yield we have. And sometimes a lot of the corn crops get completely flooded out and we have to take a different route to make sure that we have plenty of food. But, I mean, ducks love millet. You know, they like Milo. You know, we do a lot of screens with Egyptian wheat. We plant some chufa, and we got a lot, a lot of natural nut sedge in our ground up here. Um, but corn is probably your number one of what people want in our area, just because of the volume of ducks and what we have to feed. Yeah, Jake, I would agree with that. Yeah. I'm sorry, say that again, Matt. I, I was going to say, Jacob, same in your area, is it, or does it differentiate based on yeah. that? No, it's the same. I wouldn't say that moist soil is as big of a deal here um, unless you've got a existing beaver swamp or um, something similar to where it's not a excavated duck impoundment. It's more managing an existing wetland to where maybe you knocked out a beaver dam and put a Clemson beaver device, um, which is basically a redneck version of a water control structure. And you can do some water drawdowns to create uh, moist soil on those areas. But anytime you're trying to manage water, it can be difficult unless uh, uh, your water control structures and your grade. So that's where it's really nice to go take a flat existing farm field and build uh, basically a dam around the entire thing because you've got a pretty even grade. And so that you can control your water, you know, just about across the board of that entire impoundment, you can keep it at six inches of water or 12 inches of water or whatever depth you want. But if you've got a beaver pond or, you know, you dammed up a creek to make a, a pond or an impoundment, you know, sometimes you've got various depths and those various depths lead to different species. I was going to say, too, you mentioned even grade, because if you have an uneven grade, you're going to wall up one side more than the other. And invariably, you're going to deal with one side weaker than the other, right? Yeah, like I ran into an issue last year where um, we did some some Japanese millet and some golden millet, and we're trying to use water to put... Basically, when it got to about six to eight inches tall, we tried to put a couple inches of water on it to keep any com competing weeds from growing in there to minimize our herbicide and basically work in general on on that impoundment. And it wasn't a very good grade. And when we tried to put a few inches of water on it, what we ended up with was a foot of water on one half and zero water on the other half. And so we were able to go in there and um, luckily, you know, take a great stick and a bulldozer and change that. So it wasn't an issue again. 
Got you. So, so when you're building these things, right? So you're targeting, you know, water tables. You try to build up a water supply. You're getting the proper vegetation in there. Maybe it's a rewind on, on sort of like the process, but and it's probably less of a concern maybe for you, Matthew, because you have such a heavy traffic area for ducks. Maybe more of an issue for for you, Jacob. If, if you build it, are they just going to show up or do you have to be in a specific flyway? Is, do you have to like kind of just watch the skies and figure it out? Or or is there a way to draw in or what, or I guess in site selection wise, is there are there things that you can do to sort of increase your chances? It's definitely up. a lot of it is definitely up to the landowner. Um, you know, there I've seen a lot of impoundments that didn't produce and they change hands and all of a sudden they are producing. And a lot of that has to do with the management of the impoundment. Um, and it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, we're Hyde County um, since the seventies has been developed in impoundment. So you, you got to know that over time we're running out of places um, closer to the lake, but we're still we're still building lots of impoundments and you know you're not going to know how well that impoundment does until you build it um and you go through a couple years of seeing it but some of our some of these impoundments that are being built even today are producing just like impoundments that were built back in the 70s um so there's a lot of trial and error in what we do there's a lot of a lot of no wrong answers until you really have a lot of time to to see how it's going to do um Time plays a big factor in what we do. Yeah, what I would about say, you? so we we manage a few impoundments in a few different counties, and they're all kind of different. And but the biggest thing that we're trying to play off of is an existing body of water. We definitely don't have the birds that Hyde County has. So you know, if I go take a field in the middle of somebody's deer hunting property and build a beautiful duck impoundment and plant it to the best yielding stand of corn you've ever seen and flood it. More than likely there's going to be some wood ducks in it almost without a doubt. Cause they just come out of nowhere. Um, when they've got some, some food and a place to be semi safe. If you flood it really deep, you might get some ringnecks in there. Um, but odds of shooting the same species of ducks that are going to frequent the impoundments that Matt is is taking care of is is going to be a lot different. Now, there's some bigger lakes around me, and there's a couple rivers. And um, if you've got it right on the one of those rivers or right on one of those lakes you're going to probably have a little bit more bird traffic, a little bit higher bird population, especially when uh, the weather gets cold, which we all refer to, but it just seems to never get as cold as we want it to and give us the birds that we want. It's like a 10 year flood, right? Every five to 10 years, we get a really good push of birds that affects my area more than Matthew's area. Um, but yeah, we're we're always trying to hone in on a big body of water wherever wherever we're putting uh, an impoundment up, a new impoundment up in my neck of the woods. Do you want to avoid areas with a lot of timber around it just for visibility purposes? And then do, do 
do ducks pattern in on a season to season basis? So you mentioned time, Matthew, is it a case where you have, you can build an empowerment and it might not do so well the first year, but ducks start patterning in on it after a few years. Is that kind of the case or I'm just trying to get a feel for this? Yeah. Yeah. So location is the name of the game, but pressure is what keeps ducks there. Um, You know, how, how much, you know, we love empowerments with trees around them. If the ducks know where it's at and you don't pressure them too much, they're going to come. They'll be there. Um, what really matters is that location. If that's something somewhere they want to be and they're not pressured, they're, they're going to be, they're going to always come there. And I got, we got a lot of guys that, you know, they call and ask, you know, why aren't we doing so well? Why aren't we this? And you gotta, you gotta really listen to them and ask them what, what they're, you know, what they're doing or what their neighbors are doing. Um, you definitely want some trees around your impoundments if you've got a neighbor that's close. You know, if you've got a neighbor that's close that hunts their place a lot, you really need a buffer between you to, um, you know, kind of shield your ducks from their ducks. You know, just, and if it's not always a bad thing to have a neighbor because sometimes they're putting more pressure on their ducks so they start using your property more if you're putting less pressure on them. Um, so there's, there's so many different factors that why one location would be better than the other. And in, in some places, you know, we have wide open fields and it is a good thing to not have any trees around it or, or, or big buffers, as long as you don't have any neighbors close, because a lot of the ducks, they want that area to be able to stretch out and spread out. But like I say, if you, if you're, if you're, if you have a smaller piece of property and it's right next to someone else, you definitely want a buffer so that you can manage your own birds. Yeah. And I was going to say, Aaron, you, you worked and you've sold and, and, uh, you know, to help buyers acquire a lot of duck impoundment properties. It, what's a similarity? Is there, is there any sort of like alignment that you see between a lot of the listings that you've worked with as far as success and, and degrees of success that they have on those listings? So uh, everything Jacob and Matthew has said has been pretty spot on, on, on my thoughts on things. Um, you know, I've always looked at it as the corn is king, um, is one analogy and in Hyde County and also, um, the person with the most food wins at the end of the, end of the season. If you still got food, you're going to have ducks. A lot of guys get eaten out early. Um, you know, in October, November, they might flood too early, whatever. and, And the birds hone in on them and we get a big push of birds early and they've ate all their food and they have nothing to feed them. December, January. So some of that stuff plays into the sales side of it. Um, Location is key, like Matthew said. Uh, With that being location, it's kind of like having waterfront property and you're trying to sell a waterfront or a a house on the water. Um, People want that. It's the same idea in a duck impoundment. Location is key. So what Matthew was talking about with Lake Madame Mesquite, the, the National Refuge, if you're closer to it, you have a better chance of having a more productive impoundment being that you're closer to the X, so to speak. So when you look at it from a sales side, um, that does kind of bump up your price being that you're, you're increasing your chances of, of having a successful season year in, year out. Um, typically we're seeing prices of duck impoundments. Uh, two years ago, I think we sold, 13 duck impoundments in Hyde County for an average of $20,000 an acre on just the impoundment space, 20 acres, you do the math, but that was 400 grand, you know, just right there on that, that small 
little bit. Um, you get further away, the price goes down a little bit, uh, unless somebody can show, you know, successful number of hunts throughout the years that it is a very well-producing impoundment, so on. That can help keep the price up because that's what people are paying for is is for the duck hunting, not for – they don't care about the crop year yields themselves like Matthew does. Matthew cares about it because it brings ducks. All that they care about is that it brings ducks. Um, another thing that goes into this is how much does it cost for upkeep? You know, these impoundments are not cheap, first of all, to build, which that varies based on how much that somebody has to dig out, like Jacob was talking about, versus Matthew has to dig deep to find clay. Um, so I'm not even going to get into the price of how much does it cost to build a duck impoundment, but I would I, I would like to hear these boys talk about, you know, what are they seeing per acre to keep in – uh, an impoundment up. I mean, there's a there's a yearly cost, and it can be expensive. Yeah. So for an existing duck impoundment, Matthew, JJ, Jacob, if you guys want to jump in here because you're in different areas as well, um, what is the yearly cost that you see on average if there's an existing duck impoundment to maintain that? Um, on on average, like I said earlier, with the volume of ducks that we have that we have down here that we're trying to feed, we have to put a lot of effort into making sure that there's a lot of food. So when we go in and plant a corn duck impoundment or, or anything else in that impoundment, but when we go in just for the corn, we're planting it just the same way as we would in an ag field, you know, that they're going to harvest for crops. So it's not uncommon to see 200 bushel corn in a, in our corn duck impoundments because of the way we, you know, plant them. Um, I mean, we have guys that down here that are paying upwards of five, $600 an acre just you know, per acre to plant an acre crop of corn. Um, obviously, if you go down on your small grain, your small grain, we're, that corn, those corn bags cost about $300 a bag, 200, I mean, uh, two and a half acres to the bag is about what we're getting out of them. But the cost difference for something like millet or milo is, is mainly just what the bag of seed costs and how many acres that, how much, how many acres that seed bag will do. So, I mean, on millet, you're going to get like 10 acres to the 50 pound bag on corn. You're getting two and a half acres and it's a $300 bag of seed. Um, so like I said, corn, you're talking five, $600 an acre just to plant an acre crop of corn down here. So it's a, it's a substantial amount of money. Um, and that's why a lot of our guys, they'll plant, you know, half their impoundment in corn and they'll plant the other half and in millet or milo or, or, or we'll manage it in moist soil. I have one place that we look after is 2,500 acres of, you know, WRP land. Obviously they can't plant, you know, more than 50, 60 acres of corn a year because of the cost of corn. So they pay me to look after the moist soil and we you know, do a lot of mowing. We do a lot of disking and all that's, you know, basically by the hour. Um, we do a lot of disking and we'll do disking for $15, $20 an hour, depending how big the disc is. We'll do mowing depending how big the mower is, you know, whether it's a seven foot mower, 14 foot mower, whatever it may be, anywhere from 50 to a hundred dollars an hour. Um, and depending on the size of the property depends on how much cost you're, you're going to be running into. Yeah. Jacob, same in your area. So I would say that my niche is a little bit different because 99% of the time, almost all the time, we're loading up 
a tractor and implements onto a gooseneck trailer and hauling them with a pickup to a property. So our cost with travel is substantially higher than that because, you know, some days we get the luxury of only having to go 20 or 30 minutes down the road. Other days we're having to haul equipment two to three hours away from home, use that equipment on a property, get all our materials. So, you know, Matt was, was talking about seed, but you've also got a factor lime fertilizer herbicide um and most of the time when you're planting corn or any other crop you are going to work the dirt up some then you're going to apply your soil nutrients lime fertilizer and then you're going to plant and then you might even make a herbicide a pre um a herbicide application uh, a pre-emergent and then you're going to come back a week, two weeks later, depending on, on whether you've used pre-emergent or not. And then you, a lot of times you've got to use a post-emergent herbicide. And then you've also got a top dress, you know, in regards to corn, you've got to put some nitrogen on it when it's a few weeks old to get it to jump and, and really do a good job. So if we've got to travel two hours to a farm, you know, we might have to go to that farm two, three, four times during that whole growth process of whatever's been planted in the impoundment. And then we've got to come back again to flood it. And then we're going to have to uh, come back to keep whatever we're pumping. If it's a tractor or a pump, we might have to bring that pump there and come back a couple times every other day throughout a week to keep diesel fuel in that pump. So, yeah, duck impoundments are about, you know, we do some deer food plots and turkey food plots and burns and a few other things. But when it comes to probably the most labor intensive and expensive thing we do is manage duck impoundments because, you know, some of the some of the impoundments that are in Hyde County um, that are just various impoundments on rivers and lakes in my neck of the woods. There's not a lot of in other impoundments around, which means there's not too many other avenues for them to have it planted and maintained. So a little bit different, a little bit different style, but it's this, it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day when you're, when you're there managing it. Yeah. And, and both of you mentioned specifically, you know, the, the cost that it takes to maintain in terms of planting corn, which you've got to do on a, on a yearly basis, right? Just by the nature of corn. So are there additional costs also incurred for, let's say, managing the actual, like the water area, right? Like to, to manage, you know, your, your large pond or your small pond that you have there. What's kind of the kind of maintenance that you have to do on that on a yearly basis? You you have your, you know, basically your planting costs, your flooding costs, depending on how you're getting your water, like Jacob said, whether it's through a well, whether we use a tractor with a PTO pump. Um, and really, the only other cost that you're really running into for keeping up that property, you got a lot of mowing that goes along with it um, to keep all your vegetation down, make your dikes drivable. Um, but one of the things that we run into a lot is a lot of, a lot of, uh, dike repairs, you know, levee repairs. We have over time, you know, we have a lot of nuisance, um, nutrients and 
most rats and in my area they dig into the dikes and they um make tunnels and eventually we start having leaking dikes and we've got to bring in an excavator bulldozers everything to grade that dike back in put a new core ditch in it um but other than that that's really all all we have to really look after now you got a lot of blind management we got them we got to keep up our blinds you know whether it's a wooden blind or a pit blind we have to do maintenance on them um you're you're t- depending who you are depend sometimes you got you know you get five or ten fifteen years out of a wood blind um depending on how you want to see that blind and then the pit blinds some blinds we're doing these days we're going to get 15 20 years out of them um before they need replacing um and that's just that's really a lot of guys come down and do it on the weekends or they'll pay me to go in and look after a lot of that for them you know keeping their blinds intact they got the uh brush them before we start flooding um but that's about all the cost that comes with it um, as far as keeping the land up that I know of. So both of you guys are talking about <laughs> planting corn in, in marshy ground. What's the best way to sow that corn when, when you're talking about it, right? Like, cause I, I'm thinking about it, like if it's kind of mucky or you're probably going in and off season, right? Where maybe, maybe it's a little drier. And tell me a little bit about that. Just because I'm curious. <laughs> it's, it's definitely good. So you're, you're using a corn planter or, you know, people will just call it a planter, but there's an implement that's dedicated strictly for planting corn. You can switch out. It depends on the style. You can switch out certain, certain portions of it. You know, like we've got a planter that we use to plant corn and sunflowers with, we don't plant anything else with it. And, uh, and um, there's there's completely different styles and as technology grows, but we're using kind of a a three point kind of custom corn planter. Like I said, we've got to be able to fit everything we've got on an eight foot wide trailer. Um, we've got a couple different ones. Our biggest one's thirty six feet, but we've got to have the you know uh, an equipment operator a piece of equipment and implement and materials and be able to go from our home base to someone else's property versus Matt and, and some of the duck impoundments that we're managing aren't, aren't as big as some of the ones down East. But I know that Matt probably hardly ever uses a three point two or three row corn planter. He's, he's planting with a bigger setup because he's managing bigger impoundments, but I can't, you know, a, a six or eight row corn planter is 30 foot wide. I can't take that down the road. Um, or if I did, it would be very, very expensive to do so because that would be the only thing we could fit on the trailer. We have to put it on sideways and that, that adds a whole nother trip to the farm and back or two more trips, one more there and back and another one to, to get it off of that farm and move it somewhere else. So I'm, I might, it might take me longer to plant something because I'm using a smaller piece of equipment because I'm more mobile. Yeah. And before, before Matthew jumps in here, Jacob, what's, what's sort of your time cost per acre as you're planting corn? I'm just curious about the, the how, how long it takes you with a smaller uh, planter to do that. And I would say that it really kind of depends. You are hitting on whether it's wet or dry. Um, yeah. We've got an impoundment that we manage that once you get to the farm, 
it's about a mile down a gravel road and that gravel road has a very intensive slopes up and down. It's, it's basically some river bluffs leading down to a bottom and this impoundment's right in that bottom, right up beside the river. And it takes us, and it's about a 10 acre impoundment and that 10 acre impoundment takes me longer to do anything in than um, any of the other impoundments that we manage that might be a little bit bigger because we can't hardly drive a pickup with our gooseneck trailer to it. We've got to unload everything and go a mile down that gravel road up and down those hills, use the tractor to disc it up, then drive the tractor a mile back up and down those hills and put the spreader on it and then drive it all the way back and spread your lime and fertilizer and everything. So it's everything we do is, is property and site based. I can't just say, Hey, I'm this much an acre or I'm this much an hour because every property is different because we're the, the landscape. If you go 30 minutes in any direction from my house, it's completely different soil type and terrain because I'm kind of right on the edge of flatland and hilly land. So if I'm going west or north, I'm getting I'm getting into some hillier ground. If I go east, I'm getting into flatter ground. If I go south, I'm getting into sandier ground. So most of the time if somebody's got an impoundment, whether they want to build it or have us plant it, I won't say a single monetary value until I put eyes on it. I'll tell them, Hey, I'll come. If you let me know the next time you're going to be there, I'll come look at it and I'll tell you what it's going to take for us to, to do whatever you want done out here. That's a really important. So I have to, yeah, that's for, my, that's my job. That's, I have a couple guys that work for me that do the majority of the work and 90% of my job is meeting with customers and quoting jobs and then giving my guys what they need to knock it out. That's, that's a really important point that you just made there for, for both current owners and prospective owners, the people that are interested in purchasing a duck impoundment is you're not going to go out and get a set rate on like, okay, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to plant the corn. It's going to cost me this much because the guy down the road has this, this cost, or I talk to somebody else in a different area that has this cost. It's really going to depend on the topography of what you're working with. And, and I mean, there's, there's so many variables that you're just not going to get that up front. It's hard to get that assessment. Um, Matthew, if you could jump in sort of how, how you manage the, the planning. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike Jacob, it, it's, it's nice where I, where I live and work because most of our work is within 30 minutes, unless I'm doing some consulting, you know, I'll run around and do consulting work for people, but all of our impoundments are within, you know, 30 minutes of our shop, you know, whether it be to the North, Southeast, West, whatever, it, it's fairly close. So everything we do, um, we hardly ever take equipment on trailers. Um, and we try to do a lot of our properties, you know, when we start here, we kind of hit every property and we're looking after, you know, we're planting, you know, 30 duck impoundments a year. So on the north side of the county, we start up there and we break all those land down. A lot of that land gets hit twice with a disc um, and we make our big round like that and get everything, you know, knocked down after the season, you know, talking in in, in April, basically we knock everything down um, and start the start start the process and then we make our browns again we'll pull a disc and pull betters in front of it you know after we get all the fertilized in um and then 
at the same time, we may be pulling the planter that same day or, or vice versa. We may end up spraying pre-emerge. It, it really just depends how that ground, how much work it's going to be to, to make that ground plantable. Um, and we, the smallest planter we have um, for planting these corn dug environments, we have a four row planter and we use an eight row planter. And that eight row planter, we can do anywhere from you know, four to seven acres an hour. Um, so, and travel does play an effect on our, on how we price out our jobs. Um, but most of the time it's relatively the same, you know, it, it doesn't change much. Like Jacob, he might be driving an hour, two hours to get to a job hours, you know, we're only going, you know, 30, 45 minutes down the road on a tractor. Um, so, and most, and most jobs we hit, you know, on our way or, or coming back from the last one. So it's definitely different than what Jacob has to do. I, I don't envy him at all on having to travel with. Uh, yeah, you sound kind of spoiled. <laughs> I yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I will say we are spoiled, especially with the volume of work. But this is really, you know, during the summertime, this is all we do. You know, we you selling as much real estate as we can, and right now we're eighty, ninety hours a week on tractors, just just breaking it down. I stop. We stop planting corn to get on this call. Um, I come run, jump in my truck to to be able to make this happen. So, and you know, I got some, I got my dad to relieve me, but yeah, it, it is this time of year, you know, we're going hard at it to, to make it all work because we got a lot of people relying on us for a very short window, but we plant, you know, basically from early May into July. Um, but most of our corn crop really needs to go in during May. Um, that's what we need to get. You know, we need all our data daylight hours to be able to, to produce the corn crop that needs to needs to come off so that, you know, we have plenty of food. Now we're planting a lot of small grain stuff in June and July. Um, but the biggest amount of our work is right now. Awesome. Well, and so you, you both have mentioned, uh, you both have mentioned pit blinds versus wood blinds. Aaron, you mentioned that too. How do you pick between what, what you use? Is it preference? Is it landscape based? You know, what, what decides which kind of blinds you use? I'll jump on that one. It, it really depends. Um, the group of guys that you have or uh, uh, the group of guys that own that specific piece of property. I mean, I work with, you know, guys that are really young um, and guys that are really young. A lot of them want pit blinds and I don't, I don't blame them. They're, they're hide. Well, um, you see from what I've seen, we see a lot of, a lot of closer shots with pit blinds. Um, but for the older generation, a lot of those, the old timers don't want to crawl down in a pit blind. They're hard to get out of. They're a little bit dangerous. Um, you know, when you're hunting with a dog, if the dog gets away from you, you're, you're at eye level, ground level with the dog. And a lot of people don't see them. And um, there's a lot, a lot more, a lot different maintenance to a pit blind compared to a wooden blind. A lot of guys like to be able to take their blinds out of the impoundment. Um, to be able to plant their crop and then put the blind back where they want it. Um, so like on a lot of first, you know, one, two, three year impoundments, um, we'll do wooden blinds first until they figure out where the X is in that impoundment. And then, then they'll spend the money to put in a nice pit blind. So it really just depends the setup of the land and, and personal preference, really. I, I do not suggest pit blinds for, you know, the older generation. They're not used. They really don't like them. Um, and then we have, you know, clients that love them. We put in probably 10 to 15 pits a year on average for a lot of different guys. 
I was going to say, you get more gray hair on you, your knees start going bad and it's getting in and out of a hole. Isn't as fun. Yeah, that's right. And it's really my job to kind of, kind of give them the option. You know, like I, I'm not sold on any one thing. I love a pit blind. I love a, I love a steak blind. And I think different impoundments need, you know, one or the other, or a little bit of both. You know, I, I like to be able to move that, that blind so that it's in a better spot for the next year. Or I like the stationary pit, depending on how they like to hunt. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys kind of have their own group. And when they figure out how to hunt that specific area, you know, that's what they want every time. Awesome. Well, I got, I got two more questions to heck with you two after. And, and then I want to let you go. Cause as you said, and I don't think I noted it at the beginning, but I think both of you guys are right now sitting in trucks. Is, am I right there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I need to let you all get back to work. Uh, so first question you mentioned a few times, Aaron, you mentioned not wanting to even touch that territory, but now I got to ask and put y'all on the spot is if you got flat grounds, no crops planted, haven't done a thing, what should you be estimating and give me a broad range just so that people know and are aware of what kind of cost are you looking at to build a duck impoundment? And we're talking not state of the art. We're, we're talking, needs to be functional and bring in ducks. I would say that it really, it really depends on the site. Right. And that's a touchy subject because you've got, it's like building a house, right? There are, there are some people that might put a little more elbow grease and care and love into it than others. Um, but, and then you've also got to factor whether that site is an existing ag field or if it's wooded. Um, we've got a property we're building an impoundment on this summer in my neck of the woods, which like I, I keep saying, but I have to differentiate that it's so much different. Matt's backyard and my backyard are so much different, but this is a site that has like a natural bowl to it that butts up to a very large swamp system. And what we did is we brought in a friend that's a consulting forester and had him clear cut that site. And our customer was able to retain the income from that cutover, that, that timber harvest. And then in return is rolling that money back into the property by getting us to build him an impoundment. Well, we've got to go in there with 60,000 pound excavators with hydraulic thumbs and pop all those stumps out of the ground after the harvest. And a lot of it was hardwood, big mature hardwoods. We left, we left specific ones where we wanted to with the layout of the impoundment. But when you've got to pump or pull a 40 inch diameter white oak stump out of the ground, that's no small feat. <laughs> and if you've got, 10 acres of that to do. I mean, that's a big hole. That's a really big deal. That's a really expensive project. Um, but if you've got an existing ag field that all you've got to do is take an excavator around it, dig a ditch, throw that off to the side and get your core made and then put that topsoil back on top and then dress it up with a bulldozer that's a little bit less work, even though if it's a hundred acre field that you're doing it to, that's still a substantial amount of work. So it really all comes down to the, the person quoting the impoundment and what 
their cost per hour for heavy equipment is and and everybody's heavy equipment rates are different right if somebody's got 10 employees and two brand new pieces of equipment his overhead cost is a lot more than someone who might have um one excavator and and one employee or they're doing it themselves and it's their they already have that excavator for something else that you know, they already own it for their own personal use or for their farm or they're a logger that also can do some dirt work on the side. So it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of sticky a little bit because everybody's price is going to be different. If, if somebody wanted a duck impoundment built 15 minutes down the road by Matt, or if they wanted that same impoundment done by me, Matt's going to be cheaper because it's right there. Um, I wouldn't be able to do it for what his cost would be. Um, and, and so I, I can't, I can't put a monetary value on building, building someone an impoundment. Um, there's run of the mill pricing for different areas, but if I sat here and said, it's this much an acre to build an impoundment, it would only be, you would only be able to apply that amount to whatever property specifically I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm happy you went into that kind of detail. It's probably more of a, a setup question there because it really a lot of what you've spoken to and, and what I wanted to clarify for anybody looking to build one is you're not going to go in and say, okay, I want to build a duck impoundment. It's going to be $50,000 or $20,000 or $10,000. You're not going to be able to put a monetary value on that until you have the site assessed. And, and you probably talked to a few different people who manage those things, right? And then to be able to go in and look at it and give you a proper quote and tell you what to, what to look for. And you're not going to, you're not going to know going in what it is unless you've talked to somebody like yourself. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times just to, just to be upfront, most of the time, and I'm sure Matt's the same way. Most of the time, if someone inquires about wanting an impoundment built or a management plan written or planted, they you've come recommended to them from someone else. So there's already a little bit of a trust factor that has already been grandfathered in from a previous client. And all, a lot of times I'll be up front with, um, with potential prospects and I'll just be like, Hey, you know, a lot of people, just like we said earlier, bigger is better. And most of the time people have very high aspirations. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I will want to do a 30 acre impoundment here. And they don't realize that the fact that there's trees there right now means that it's going to cost twice as much to do that project. And so I'll, I'll just be like, Hey, you know, um, I know you got our number from so-and-so and they were happy. We did a good job for them. You know, you tell me you want a 30 acre duck impoundment here, you know, I just want to be straight up and clear for both of our sakes. What, what's your budget? Because, you know, your budget and the numbers that are going through my head right now might be in completely different stratospheres. And if that's the case, let's go ahead and figure that out right now before I spend two days quoting this. That's terrific insight. Matthew, I'm, I'm guessing the same in your neck of the woods. Yeah, exactly the same. Trying to get the budget up front to know, you know, if, if you're on the same page is huge. Um, but as far as I, you were hitting on price a lot, um, 
we done we just got finished and we actually started planting it today um about a 40 acre impoundment um from start to finish. it was raw land um it had some existing ditches on it but it was grown up you know seven eight year vegetation I had to bring the bulldozers in um clear it all off and basically the turnkey price for that whole 40 acre um impoundment to be built planted and the whole nine yards was somewhere around 90 grand or so so that's just just giving you a head you know just giving you some insight on what these things cost we also quoted a, a 72 acre duck impoundment to be built it used to be about a 35 acre duck impoundment we built it we, we're doing it right now making it bigger having to do all the clearing and everything for it and that that impoundment is going to cost well well over 100 grand to do all the core ditching all the um clearing that needs to be done and everything it so it, it's a pretty heavy cost but once they have it you know they have an asset that's worth you know maybe even double than what they've got in it or triple or quadruple um so as long as they can afford it up front you know they're they're building something that in the future will sell you know most time for way more than what they got in it um if they can withstand the cost at the beginning that's also an important note um, so yeah, I want to hit you both with one more last question and I want to give you both a chance to sort of plug your business here. So last question is how many people do you work with that manage their own empowerment and, and, and like rough percentage and, and how many people hire people to manage like yourselves, their duck empowerments? Check it, bed. So we, um, we do some seed sales. We we are a dealer for Eagle Seed and for Real World Wildlife Products. So I see, I get some inquiries from do-it-yourselfers, but I would say that I've never had anybody inquire about seed or have talked to anybody that manages duck impoundments on their own. Um, they might do some deer food plots or some some dove fields or turkey plots on their own. But when it comes to duck impoundments, they are either getting someone like me or Matt to help them do it, or maybe they've got a local farmer that they have some kind of agreement with for planting corn, um, and maybe they they have a well in place where they can just flip a switch and put water in there and 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 kind of manage flooding the impoundment and draining it themselves and and getting a farmer to help with the planning but um not a lot of people at all that i know of that handle their duck impoundment a to z on their own matthew yeah I, go ahead sorry i was gonna say same for you yeah, it's about the same. Just keep in mind, it takes a pretty wild individual to do this kind of work to be <laughs> extremely, extremely successful. I mean, we, we, you know, it, some, sometimes depending on what kind of storms you got or what kind of breakdowns you have, I mean, a lot of it, you know, you're up one, two o'clock at night uh, running pumps, you know, you're up, you're on the tractor till midnight. It really just depends you know what kind of client you run into i mean some of some of my clients are they want everything done they don't want any kind of input they don't want anything they're like matthew here here's what I, here's here's my grounds you figure it out and then we got other clients that want to be you know right there the whole every step of the way um we got a lot of guys that do some of the work themselves you know they'll dish their impoundments before we get there 
and obviously we take that off our per acre price on on how we uh, would plan it for them. Um, some guys, you know, they want this kind of seed, and some guys they they want exactly what we want or what we what we would do. Um, so it really just depends the client. Um, but no, every everybody has you know a point of contact, and I think that Jacob and I are the point of contact most of the time. I get people that call me all the time just asking questions, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to answer anybody's questions. It, you don't get paid for a lot of that stuff, but if you answer everybody's questions, they remember that and they'll suggest you to the next guy or, you know, or use you for a job that they eventually will have. So that, that really doesn't bother me any that I get lots and lots, lots of questions because it always works out for us in the end. It seems like. Yeah. Well, so, all right. I know that both of you, like I said, both hanging out in trucks in the middle of nowhere and ready to probably chomp into the bit to get back to work and, and go do the thing. Uh, both of y'all work with national land realty. Both of y'all work as consultants and work with duck empowerments. So I want to give you a chance to plug your business since you've given us uh, an hour of your time today, Jacob, kick us off and, and tell us how to get a hold of you and what you specialize in. All right. So the, the name of my company is Wildflow Habitat Management, and you can find us online, Wildflow, W-I-L-D-F-L-O-W, habitatmanagement.com. All our contact information is on there. We specialize in kind of turnkey recreational property management. So if you've got a property that you just like to deer and turkey hunt, we'll come in there and help write a management plan install food plots and conduct controlled burns install deer stands um if you've got a track that's just strictly a duck hunting property and it's got a duck impoundment or a couple duck impoundments we can come in there and either help facilitate building you one and then taking on the management or if you've got an existing impoundment um that you'd like to have planted and flooded and we can do that as well. So we also do a little bit of forestry mulching. We've got a, a skid steer mulching unit. Um, my kind of elevator pitch is if it has to do with a hunting property and we can't do it in house, we've got somebody on speed dial who can't. So if it's deer hunting, turkey hunting, duck hunting property in North Carolina, we can provide some value one way or another. All right, Matthew. Yeah, my, my company's name is Whispering Woods Consulting. Um, we specialize in recreational, you know, private land, um, hunting land mostly. We do um, waterfowl is what we specialize the most in. We also do a lot for deer and bear hunting in our area. Um, we construct duck impoundments, do lots of repairs. Um, and I, for the consulting side of my business, I work with a lot of different subcontractors. Like Jacob said, if it's something that we don't specifically do, we've got a contact to do it. Um, we any any custom wildlife management that you want done, we have a way of getting it done. So uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, um, and my number is two five two five four two nine one six zero, and we're happy to help in any possible way we can. Excellent. Well, hey, I appreciate both of y'all's time. I know, like like I said, you, you took time away from your work today to do this. Very much appreciate that. 
Aaron, I know that you are in your office, so I'm not going to, you know, thank you also for being here. I was going to give you a hard time, but I do appreciate your time. Yeah, well, look, my little plug is any of these duck appellants, uh, I have a gun and I will travel. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have an equal sales pitch on that then. <laughs> I appreciate you, Matt. Yeah, thank you guys very much for, for uh, giving us your time. Thanks, Max. Thank you. This concludes episode number 42 of the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing everything you need to know about duck impoundments with land professionals Aaron Sutton, Matthew Eakes, and Jacob Lyle out of North Carolina. Honestly, if you didn't learn anything from this episode, you should probably go back and listen to this again. All right, you can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.